up your Bibles to the book of Malachi, book of Malachi, chapter 3. And this is the last book in the Old Testament. Last book in the Old Testament. By the way, the Old Testament in our Bibles um, is put together with 39 books, but it is the exact same set of books that are in the full Hebrew Old Testament called the Tanakh. And then the Hebrew Old Testament, there's a little bit of a different order. Actually, Daniel is the final book, but they're all the same books. And the, Old the Hebrew uh, Bible, I believe, is 24 books, but it's the same books because we have like First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Those are all one book. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. So those are why the difference is in the numbers. But I just want to build your faith a little bit that our Old Testament that we read here in the New King James, the Protestant Bible, is exactly the same as the Old Testament, the Hebrew, I say Old Testament, it's their you know, Bible, the Hebrew Bible with all the scriptures that have been written and transcribed over for thousands of years. And so in our Bible, Malachi is the last in the Old Testament and probably chronologically was the last book to be written. Um, it's hard to determine exact dates. Malachi was written most likely around 450 B.C. to 425 B.C. Nehemiah and Ezra were transcribed together, uh, and they were written most likely around the same time. Actually, Malachi and Nehemiah would have been contemporaries of one another. They would have been prophesying at the same time and during the same periods. Okay, So, let's dig in. Verse 6, chapter 3. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me. That's going to be a popular theme today. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So that was their response to God. In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God, but you, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven... And pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're going somewhere today. God, we're going somewhere over the next number of weeks, and we're wanting to plow some ground. We're wanting to really open up some things in your word, God, to expose people to some truth that will radically transform and change their lives. It'll help us to relate to you, God, in the fullness of who you want to be to us, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And so we're asking you now, God, for an outpouring of truth. We're asking you to minister to us your word, that it would be clear and that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would fall on good soil and we would receive it with gladness. I ask you to anoint me today, God, to preach your word. I'm beyond myself, Lord. There is nothing in me 
to do what I need to do, God, apart from you. Holy Spirit, use me as your vessel and as your instrument to bring forth your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good time for a hallelujah. Amen, right? So, we are, as you may have already gathered, getting into a new series today. And the title of our series is called The Blessed Life. Now, this isn't a new title. Many of you probably know that. There was a message and a book and a series of messages preached by Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church a number of years ago, which, by the way, we are a Gateway Network church, so we are in relationship and we have a covering of the Gateway Network over us, which is amazing, some 90,000 people between the church and the network. But Pastor Robert is very well known for teaching on giving and on God's supply. Let me just say this. This isn't just a message about tithing. This is a message about God's provision and about living in the fullness of the supernatural provision that God wants to make available to you in your lives. That is absolutely my burden. I just feel like I might as well say this, that my heart here is not in any way manipulative. This is not a message that's designed to try to get people to give more to the church. I could care less. I don't even look at that stuff. I just know that God provides everything we need to do what He's calling us to do. This is my burden, is to help you and all of us live in the fullness of the supernatural provision that God wants to bring to us in our lives. Um, so I did. I, I let Gateway know that we're going to be... Th this is... I mean, I'm just using the title, of course, right? I'm, this, is, this is a message that God has revealed to me over many, many years as well. Pastor Robert's teachings have just really solidified and helped me in many, many ways to gain greater insight into the Scriptures. I did let them know if he wants access to my notes after all this. It's perfectly fine with me. I'm okay with that. No big deal. But I do want to say a couple of things as we open up. Is that I've never preached this message before. Never. And, and really, God's been percolating this thing in me to bring it as a message for, for quite a while. And I felt like this was the time and this was the season for that. So I'm particularly excited. But for me, it's been a work that God's been doing for almost uh, 20 years, for about 16, 17 years. He's been really continuing to work this thing in me and showing me the truth uh, and the promises in Scripture over this. I got a hold of this revelation in the very beginning of my walk with Christ. I just, I just thank God for that. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way for people, but it hit me right in the beginning, right off jump. Uh, and I've seen God's, the truth of, of God, the true and faithful one in this area again and again and again. Um, and I will say that I do want to give a lot of credit because my pastor, Pastor Rick Shelton, has preached on this and has taught on this unapologetically ever since I became a part of that church and he was my pastor. And there are a lot of preachers who will stay away from this subject or who, if they preach it, will not preach it uh, aggressively because they're concerned about what people think. And I feel like that is a disservice to the body of Christ. And I give credit to Pastor Rick because he did preach this unapologetically. And because he did, I got a hold of it the way that I did. The blessings that have flown into my life as a result of this, I owe a lot of that to, to Pastor Rick being bold and unapologetic and preaching the truth behind giving and offering and the tithe and everything according to the way Scripture plays it out. So I believe fully over the next number of weeks 
that there are people in our church who are going to absolutely have radical breakthroughs. I mean, radical breakthroughs. Because when you get a hold of this thing and you start to live this thing, it changes everything about the way the provision of God flows into your hands. When I was in business, one of the early businesses that I started was in financial services. Uh, started out independently and then I built a small agency and so I counseled families, um, homes, families, not corporations, mostly families, on how to manage their finances, how to get out of debt, how to plan for retirement, how to be properly insured, all those things. I had access to a full arsenal of products and services, but it was a, a financial planning, advising, counseling role. I absolutely loved it because it was all about stewardship. It was all about being a good steward with the resources that you have. And I saw those principles through thousands of clients. I saw those principles produce amazing results in people's finances and in their lives, which affected their future and affected generations to come. But let me say something about what was not necessarily a part of the professional process that God has continued to help me see is that even though stewardship and proper handling of resources is critical, it's like a two-legged stool, you have to do that in order to see God continue to give more, right? Faithful and little, faithful and much. The foundation of everything, the bedrock of where everything starts is with the tithe. It's with the tithe. And we, we see the tithe in the scriptures as an ordinance. What does that mean? An ordinance is something that is supposed to just be ordinary behavior for people who are children of God in the way that they relate to God. That's what the tithe is. It's an ordinary, it's an ordinary part of the life that a believer lives. And so looking at this, these scriptures here in the book of Malachi, we see a lot of... Uh, instruction we see a lot of clarity around this subject but I just want to point out to you that it's all throughout the Bible it's all through the Bible and we're going to travel through all the scriptures in this series and continue to unpack these truths again and again and again so that would debunk anybody's theory or, or perhaps the skeptics or the people who resist this that say, well, that's not really a part of the scriptures. That's just that one particular verse. That's not true. It's all throughout scripture. Something called systematic theology, which is a way that you look at interpreting scripture, which says that there's a truth. You'll see that truth and that pattern all throughout scripture if it's not just for the contextual part of the situation. Does that make sense? If it's strictly in that, it's a, it could be contextual, meaning it, it worked here in this way, but that doesn't necessarily mean it applies that way here. Well, when it's everywhere throughout Scripture, it's systematic in the sense that it all links together. It's a common thread. Hallelujah, everybody say amen. All right, so what I want to do is I want to give you um, five things that we see very clearly from these Scriptures, but also throughout the rest of the Bible when it comes to the relationship with God with the tithe. The first thing is, it is a test. There is a test. And I'm going to have these slides up here to help you if you take notes, which by the way, it's great to take notes because there's a lot of information we're going to go, go through and a lot of scriptures that I think you should write down and you should really continue to study and meditate over. But uh, 
God says, he says, test me in this. Now, by all accounts, I've reviewed the scriptures. I've heard many people say this. I have found this to be absolutely true so far. I've never seen it in any other place in the Bible where God says to do this. I have not seen it anywhere else where God says, test me. I mean, it's like, try me in this, guy. See. It, what he's saying is, test me and see if I'll do what I say I'm going to do. Test me and see if I am who I say I am. It's like God is inviting us to put him to the test in this particular area. And I love this part because... However you want to look at this, here's the reality that I have observed. Because God says it this way, it has caused so many people that I have observed over the years in the body of Christ to start tithing who weren't tithing because they saw this scripture. And let me be really clear. They have struggled to step out and do it. It was a challenge. Let's be real, okay? This is a difficult thing because it's a letting go thing. And that's always hard to do when we take our hands off of something so that God can put His hands on something. Right? It's always hard to do. But I love it because I've seen so many people over the years who have taken God up on this challenge and who have stepped out nervously but believe that it's Scripture. Look, there's things that you can see that are truth. That doesn't mean it's easy to do it. You might say, yeah, I know that I need to do that, but man, it's hard to do that. Anybody else beyond? Like, right? That's, and this is how I've seen many people step out in tithing, but every time that people have done that, I've always heard the testimonies that follow for weeks and months thereafter. God says this is a test. He says, test me. But let me, just, let me just try to drive some truth home for you right now. That you can trust Him. Because he owns everything. You, you can't outgive God. Here, here's, here's the reality. He doesn't need your money. I mean, it just is. He doesn't need our money. That's not what he wants. You, you got you to gotta settle some of this stuff for you in your, in your peripheral, your, your mindset. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. It's, it's not a money thing. And people that think that, they always stumble. It's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. He wants your heart. And you can trust Him because He owns everything. Listen, Psalms 24, verse 1. It says that the earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof. Those, the world and those who dwell in it. it he owns it all. There's no lack here. In the, in the treasury department of heaven? I mean, we have a deficit in our American budget, but God has no deficit in His economy. <laughs> he owns it all. It's helpful because when you see that, you realize that God can give you everything that you need and anything He wants to give you. And there's no limits to whatever He would do. So it's a heart thing because He's asking us, will you trust me? Will you put me first? And so it, there's a test because God's saying test him. But listen, there is also a test for us. It's a test for us. Because stepping into covenant with God in the tithe 
as we do that, it tests us, and as we step into that, it begins to work things in our heart that God desperately wants to do about trust and generosity and putting Him first. You see, one of the quality attributes of God is that He is preeminent. Okay, what does that mean? It means that He is above all. He's the highest ranking thing, one, in, in your universe, in your life, for every part of your life. And it's possible for people, I, I've seen this, so I, I say it's possible, for people to trust God, to love God, but not put Him first in certain areas of their lives. And, and when they do, and I'm, I'm going to say things that I'm just saying because I, I, I couldn't figure out other ways to say these things. <laughs> like, what's the politically correct way to say it? So I, I couldn't figure out other ways to say this. But here's the reality. If you don't put God first in any area of your life, you will experience consequences from that. Okay, so he says, I'm preeminent, which means I am first. And just like other areas of our lives, God wants to be first in the area of your finances. He wants to be first in the area of your provision. That's why it's the tithe. Tithe means tenth, and ten typically refers to testing in the Bible. There were ten plagues that God brought towards Egypt to give them a chance to repent, and they didn't. There are ten commandments that God's asking man to obey and honor in relationship with him. There's, ten implies testing, and so the tithe is a test for us, because God wants to see if we will put Him first and, and, and trust Him to be faithful with what He says He's going to do. And it's the first tenth, it's the first tenth that God brings to us. The tithe is holy, which means that it is set apart for God. It belongs to Him. You understand that? So what that means is that God blesses us with provision in all kinds of ways. But what He expects is that the first tenth that comes to us goes back to Him. It says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, which means, listen, we are returning something to God. Do you understand that? We are returning the first tenth. I, I just kind of look at it this way. I'm just glad he lets me keep the other 90%. Now, if you truly trust God and he works this thing in your heart, listen, <laughs> you will realize that God can do far more with the 90% than you can do with 100%. Do you trust him? It's a test. Will you trust him? It's, it's like the Sabbath. It's saying by honoring the Sabbath that I trust God will do more through me in six days than I can do through me in seven days. Oh my God, hallelujah. It is a test. Hallelujah. So, let me say this. This is God's way. This is His way. And it's not our way. There is a path that seems right to a man, but that one leads to destruction. This is God's way. This is how He instructs us to live in the area of our provision, the resources that flow to our hand, is to put Him first and trust Him with the first head. Now, 
I'm going to just kind of take my time going through all this because there's so much content. Well, it'll just be as many weeks as it's going to be. I've learned my lesson. I'm not telling you how many weeks this later is going to be, okay? So I've heard people say over the years, I'm, I'm going to attempt to just kind of give you some of the thoughts and some of the things that people say against this, that tithing is, is not scriptural even though I have no idea how you could read the Bible and see that. But there, there are people that think that. But here's what I've heard a lot. People say, well, that's not for today. Right? I'm glad somebody laughed at that. That was good. That was per- Can you stay for every service and do that at the same spot? That's perfect. Well, there, there are. There are a lot of people who say, well, that's not for today. And, and it's not a totally crazy theory because they'll say, well, that's the law, you know, and we're not under the law. It's true. We're not, Okay. But Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. That's what you have to understand. He completed it. So he completed all those ordinances and and those sacrifices and those laws and fulfilled those things. But Jesus always called us to a greater level. I mean, if that's the theory, right, it's that was law, then how do you explain when Jesus says, the law says don't commit adultery, I say don't lust in your heart. He lifts the standard. The law says don't murder, I say don't be angry with a brother. You see what I'm saying? Like, Jesus always elevates the standard. So I don't see how you could possibly do, say that, well, that was the law, and then not see that, well, Jesus is probably calling us to an even greater place, which we'll see in the times ahead here that he does, because there's tithes and then there's offerings, which is beyond the 10%, the 10th, okay? So Jesus really does call us to a higher place. But here's the other part. So the law was given, what, 1500, roughly, B.C., to Moses, 1400 B.C., somewhere in there. Um... And then obviously Christ comes along in 0 to 33 AD. So there's the period of the law right there. Go back hundreds of years before that. Abraham tithed. Jacob tithed. In fact, if you really want to get down to it, Abel tithed. Abel brought his first fruits offering to God. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Jacob said to God, Whenever he had his vision, he said, on, he put a rock as a memorial stone. He said, I'm vowing that I will give a tithe of all that you give to me. Here, here's what's powerful about that. There was no law. Hundreds of years before it was a law, men were tithing. Men of God, in relationship with God, were tithing. What does that tell us? It tells us that it is a heart condition, not a law. It's a heart condition. They wanted to tithe. God didn't say, you must tithe. They said, I want to tithe because I want to show my thankfulness and I want to show my trust in you for all that's still coming. It was a heart condition. Jesus says this. So that's hundreds of years before the law. Let's go beyond the law now. And Jesus, he says this in Matthew 23, 23, the Pharisees that he's speaking to, who, by the way, believed that they were holding up the law to the nth degree. And they did hold up the ordinances very well, but Jesus said, you don't do the greater things of the law, the heart things, right? And they were doing them as rituals, thinking they were getting closer to God. So they had the wrong heart and the wrong spirit about it anyway. But this is what Jesus said in 23, 23 of Matthew. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for yeah, you tithe of mint, anise, cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These things you also ought... Can we jump over to the next verse? Matthew 23, 23. These... All right, I'll just have to prove that I know this. These things 
you also have ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He, he said, because they were bragging, well, we tithe, Jesus, we give of the tithe. And in this case, it was the mint and the cumin and the valuable spices and all that. And Jesus said, well, sure, you should do that. <laughs> you should keep doing that. So Jesus was clear, like, yeah, you sh- that's just kind of like a, a, the standard. Like, that, yeah, you just need to do that, but you're not doing all these other things. So Jesus himself addressed that. But it really is a heart issue because when you look at this book of Malachi, you see what the whole context of that book, four chapters, is this, that the prophet Malachi is talking to the people of Israel, and it's all about, it's a book about returning to God. It's a book about the people returning to God because they've went away from God. They've went away, and he's calling the priests to return because they've become corrupted. He's calling people to return to true worship, and he's calling them to return to trusting him as their provider in the tithe because they've neglected that. Here's what's crazy about all this. He's saying, return to me. But this period is post-exilic, which means that they've returned from exile in Babylon. Remember, they were in captivity for 70 years in Babylon, the people of Israel. And now they've actually already returned. They've already rebuilt the temple and the city walls. So think about this. From From a logistic standpoint, they have returned. They've returned back from Babylon. They've returned out of captivity. And they're back to their temple, the second temple. The first was Solomon. They're back to the second temple, and they have the place to worship. So they're probably thinking, well, we have returned, right? We're here. We've returned to the temple. We've returned to the land. We've returned out of captivity. He's saying, no, you don't even get it. You need to return to me in your heart. You, You think you're here, but you're not here. It's not about a building. It's not about walls. It's not about having a bunch of programs. We can go through the motions and do everything we want to do. But if our heart isn't right, it will mean nothing with God. We could be doing all kinds of busy work and building all kinds of structures, and God could still be saying, return to me. Return to me. It is a heart condition. And and it's obvious because the people respond in an interesting way, well, they say, well, how have, we, how have we went away from you, Lord? He says, well, return to me. Well, how have we not returned to you? It's like they're kind of arguing. You see this? They're sort of arguing back with God. They're hearing truth, but then they're pushing back. Now, if we're honest, we could probably all say there's points in our life where we've done this with God. But it's never a good thing. They're pushing back with Him. And Malachi is speaking the word. He's telling them what the Lord is saying. And then they're pushing back. Well, how have we done this, Lord? I mean, what do you mean, God? How have we not honored you in the tithe? And so the Lord's having to chastise them. You, understand? you see that he's having to chastise them in order to pull them back. But here's the interesting point that I see. Is that when we get to a place where our hearts kind of get hardened, it takes a lot more for God to get through to us. You see how God has to chisel some stuff away? If we're resistant to what he's saying, it's an entirely different process for God to get that truth in there and to begin to produce something fruitful in our lives. That's why in Acts it says that we should receive the word with readiness. Readiness, which means I hear it, and when I hear the Spirit of God say, I'm ready to respond. I'm not resisting. I'm not pushing back. But they weren't receiving it with readiness. So, number one is that it is 
a test. And let me just say this. Why would we want to do less? What, if we say, well, that was for the, the law and that was then, the first tenth, and we're not... Why would we want to anyway? Really? Like, what does that reveal about the heart of someone if they're, the thought is like, well, I should, you know, I should do... I don't want to do that. I want to do less than that. So anyway, it's a test. It reveals our heart. Number two, there is a warning. And there really is a warning. Let's put verses... Um, Put verse 8 back up there. It says, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So, it's very clear. There's not a way to water this down there's not a way to sort of change the delivery of this. If we are not tithing, then we are robbing God of what is His. That is just the flat-out truth of what the Scriptures say. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's holy. It's set apart. It's consecrated. It's already reserved for Him. So when we don't bring it and return it and we keep it or hold it or do whatever else with it, the, according to the Bible, we are robbing God of what is His. I think God uses strong language because He wants to get through to us how important and significant this principle of trusting Him in this way is. He even goes on to say, if you're robbing me, then there's going to be a curse on the provision. Now, let me explain. He's this is not the curse of sin and death. This is not the condition of sin and sin and death that will lead man to an eternal place of separation from God. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying there'll be a curse over the provision, over the inflow into your hands. And when you study the word curse, it can mean a lot of different things in the Hebrew, but one of the things it means is to be bound up, to be limited or to bring harm upon oneself. So if we're robbing God from the tithe, then we are literally binding up the supernatural ability for the provision to flow into our hand and to grow and to multiply and to do what God wants to do in and through that. There's a supernatural ability for resources to flow through your hands. If we rob God from the tithe, we bind up the ability for that supernatural flow to work. Does that make sense? And he says that, that you're a curse. Now, listen, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is closing comments from Moses before he departs. People go toward the conquering of the rest of the promised land, right, coming out of the wilderness. I'm just going to show you a few verses here. I don't have time to get through this whole chapter. This is an incredible chapter, chapter 28. But basically, this is what it does. It says, if you obey God, He will bless you and if you don't obey God, you'll be cursed. That's what it says. In his ordinances, you'll be bound up, you'll be limited, and you'll restrict the flow of what God's blessings can do, are meant to do in and through your life. So chapter 28, verse 1, says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. 
overtake. There's a study in that right there. It will overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, after that, for the next dozen verses or so, it goes on to say all of the blessings that God wants to give the people. It just lists them like, it's just amazing, the laundry list of blessings. Then you jump down later in chapter 28, and it says this, because it, it, it's the contrast, right? It's, it, you got to look at, there's both sides to this. He says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you. And then it goes on to list the curses and the ways that things will be bound up and the way that the, the, the provision won't flow into their hands, the rain for the land won't come, all those kinds of things. So the point of that is that there is a warning and that there are still consequences today for not obeying God. Not just in this area, but in every area. Right? You don't obey God in the way you manage or way you handle your relationships with other people. There's consequences from that. Anything that we do outside the will of God, there's consequences that befall upon us. And if we continue to walk in that, this is where it gets really important to understand. It, it, there's, when, you, when you talk about sin and disobedience, it, it talks about it in different, two different ways. There's a one-time occurrence, right? You can do something and you messed up. Oh, I screwed up. But that's very different than continued and willful disobedience. It's very different. So when God says, I'm going to bring a curse upon you, He's not saying, oh, I messed up, and I'm not saying, like, I, I screwed up, I did something wrong, I need to repent, I realize I messed up. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about continued willful disobedience, a pattern of behavior in one's life. That's what brings upon the, bound, the binding up God's provision and blessing to be able to flow freely through your life. Because God is just, right? So that's what that means. And so there are still consequences to this day. Now, I will, let me say this. Some people will hear a message like this or will, they'll hear a teaching on this and they'll say, I've never known this before. I have never known that God is, is asking me and commanding me to tithe. And I think that God still rewards generosity in people's lives who are generous and perhaps are not aware of what the Bible says about tithing. However, I don't believe the kind of blessing that God speaks of that we walk under when we are in covenant with the tithe is showering over their lives. That's, that's my personal opinion. I believe God still rewards generosity because it says He will, but whenever people get a revelation about tithing, this is where it's very important to understand is once we know the truth, we are responsible for that. There are still consequences from doing bad things when you don't know they're bad. They're just different consequences. Let me prove it to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48. Listen to this. It says, The servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. This is a parable, by the way. Jesus is describing this. He said, so the master who knew, the servant who knew the master's will and didn't do it, he's going to be beaten with many stripes. But the servant who did not know, yet still committed these things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. Do you see the lesser degree of consequence? There's still a consequence. It's just a lesser degree because now the person who knows the will is held to a greater level of accountability with the knowledge he's been given. 
James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So some of you are like, thanks a lot, pastor. I didn't know before I came in today, and now I know. <laughs> Sorry to ruin this thing. And sc- no, I'm not ruining anything for you. But I've, I've, I'm afraid we're going to have to probably stop right there today with our points. Um, let, me, let me make one more point. I'm just going to touch on the next one. No, number three is that there is instruction. There is instruction. Okay, but... And I'm going I'm to unpack this a whole lot more next week. But the instruction that I want to give you first is that the tithe is the first tenth. Okay? It's the first tenth. It, it doesn't mean... Here, here's how I know that. Because when you look at the way the tithe was brought in, it was always brought in as the first fruits. It was always brought in as the first of the increase. So whenever the people of Israel would come to the spring uh, of the year and their crops were starting to come in, they were required to bring a first fruits offering. They were required to bring the best, the first that came in. And they gleaned all of the harvest that was just the fruit that was just starting to come in. They gleaned it and they stripped it bare and they left the plants to continue to grow, but the fruit was gone. Do you understand that? So there's nothing left. They took all the fruit off in the first fruit harvest and they brought it into the storehouse and presented it as their tithe and their offering to the Lord. What that demonstrated was that they fully believed that God was going to bring the remaining part of the harvest, which was the more bountiful part of the harvest. The greatest part of the harvest was still yet to come, but they stripped the first fruits off and brought it in as worship and an offering to the Lord to declare their faith that the rest of the harvest was still going to come. It's the first tenth. It's not something we give to God after we've distributed what we've been paid to a bunch of other places. Now, we're not going to be legalistic about this. We'll talk about this next week. But the, the heart is important. That the first tenth that God brings in, all increase, we'll talk about that, all increase is subject to tithe. That the first fruits, it's God's, it's holy, and it's nobody else's. It's only for Him. And, and, and then we see that there's offerings expected beyond that. Because after they brought the first fruits offering, then the rest of the harvest would come in. They'd reap the rest of the harvest. But you know what they were instructed to do? Leave the four corners of the fields. They harvested all the crop, but they left the four corners of the field with fruit so that the people who were down and out, who were, who were hurting, who were perhaps suffering from poverty or areas in their life, could come along and then they could glean from that and they could have supply. Those were offerings. That was above and beyond the tithe. You understand that? How many people are getting something out of this today? This is good stuff, right?